All right. Welcome <laughs> to episode six of Handle with Care on Air. This is Jess Fracolosi, and I'm excited for this episode. I've got two very special guests here today, Michaela Carroll and Jess Duhame. We're going to dive into an interview with these two ladies in just a few minutes. Um, this episode is going to be a little bit more information heavy than our former episodes. We wanted to really dive into some more objective items within psychiatrics, um, specifically the pharmacy side of things. So we're going to be talking about uh, psychiatric medications, um, drug adherence, uh, different side effects that come along with these medications, the advancements, all those awesome pieces, super information rich. So um, I hope you guys are ready to learn. I'm going to start with Michaela Carroll, who also happens to be a close friend of mine and my roommate from college. Michaela um, now lives in Birmingham, Alabama. And Michaela, tell us a little bit about your background, your education, your experience. Hey, so I went to pharmacy school at Northeastern University in Boston. And then I did two years of additional training after I graduated. Both were in hospital settings. The first year was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and the second year was in Morgantown, West Virginia. And since then, um, I've been working primarily in hospital in hospital settings. And um, I was in Georgia after I moved from West Virginia. And for the past year and a half, I've been working in Birmingham at UAB Hospital. Awesome. Um, so diving right into this, just to give our listeners, most of whom have probably no background in um, psychiatrics or, or pharmacy, um, can you tell us a little bit about different families um, or categories within psychiatrics and how the different drugs are categorized and classified? So it's usually broken up in the most broad sense by disease state. So for drugs to treat schizophrenia, we call those typically antipsychotics, and there are classes within that family. Um, for major depressive disorder, we would use antidepressants. And then um, the last bit would probably be like bipolar disorder, different mood disorders, and we would call those mood stabilizers. That's in the most broad okay. sense, the main categories that you think of. Okay. Um, and just because I know a lot of people might be familiar with this term, is that are those categories listed in the DSM? Can you tell us a little bit about the DSM? So the DSM is usually used for diagnosing, and it's kind of what's used for saying, okay, yes, this patient meets the criteria to have major depressive disorder, or this patient has the appropriate symptoms to qualify for having schizophrenia. And then, yeah, it's a huge, thick manual, but you'll find diagnostic tools, and then you'll find the medications also listed in the DSM. Cool. What does it stand for again? Oh, God, I don't even know. It's on its fifth volume. It's been around for a long time. Um, no big deal. We can get circle back I to have that. It here somewhere. We can Google it. <laughs> um, cool. All right. So in, the, in those categories that you kind of spoke of, antipsychotics, anti, forgive me if I mess this up, antidepressants and mood stabilizers, is that right? Yes. Um, what would you say are some of the major drawbacks in each category? Um, or a few major standout examples that might be relevant to our listeners. So for the antipsychotics, the first thing that comes to mind is probably the side effect profile of these medications. So just as an example, like a blood pressure medication, a patient might ask me what side effects 
there are with a blood pressure medication. And for a lot of them, I might say it's pretty benign. They might expect something like a headache or fatigue, nothing that's really going to interfere with their day-to-day life. But with these drugs, almost every single one has its issues, and they are something that actually need to be taken into account when you're deciding what to start a patient on, and they do need to be counseled on what to expect, and there's a lot of research on how to manage the side effects, and it might be the reason that they stop the drug. It's very common to have to switch therapies with antipsychotics purely because of the side effect profile. Okay. With antipsychotics specifically, what are, can you give a a more common or maybe one of the newer drug, one of the older drugs, one of the newer drugs and some of the side effects that you can think of that come along with those? Yeah, there's a drug that actually works pretty well. And it's one of the few drugs that has some data to say that it helps um, in terms of suicidal ideation and decreasing the risk. But because it's so dangerous, it basically has um, the ability to deplete your white blood cell count and put you at risk for infection. So patients need to be monitored. They need to be, you know, have blood draws. They, the physicians that prescribe it need to be registered in a special program. And because of that, it's considered like a third or fourth line agent rather than something you would jump to. You have to fail other therapies to, you know, be qualified for this drug because of the side effect profile. Okay. Um, what about, um, I know lithium is a tried and true uh, treatment for bipolar, or at least a really long-standing treatment. But there, can you tell us about? I know that it's. I, I feel like I remember reading that there's something about it, that it might be hard on the kidneys. Is that true? There's so anything that goes along yeah. with lithium specifically. Yeah. So basically, it's eliminated almost primarily through the kidneys, and so if the kidney function changes at all it's going to really alter how much of the drug is in their system and it's going to put them at risk for other side effects and toxicity. So it's really something that needs to be monitored. Like how well are your kidneys working? Has it changed at all? And if it is, then that becomes a big problem. So it's something that, um, that's very important in terms of monitoring and making sure that the patient's renal function, kidney function remains the same throughout their therapy. Yeah. And lithium's like, it's an element, right? Yeah, you'll find it on the periodic table. <laughs> it's so simple. It's so effective. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, do you have any, any, the next item here is big advancements. What are some big advancements that stand out to you in each category? Um, are there any kind of newer drugs that have really made waves in the pharmacy world um, that you can think of? Well, the the biggest thing, and we have a a ways to go, and I think the pharmaceutical company is kind of realizing that there's um, a big need for this, is in terms of the antipsychotics, they're coming out with more long-acting injectable agents, which they're, they're helpful in a number of ways. And one of the main reasons is, like, let's say a patient is is on these medications and they relapse. The big question is, did they relapse because they weren't taking the medication or did they relapse because they, it's just not working for them? And when you have a long-acting injectable on board and they relapse, that question's kind of answered for you. You know, clearly they're taking it. It's been in their system. It just isn't working for them. Um, and a lot of them, you know, there's some that are every two weeks, but there's one that recently came out that's every three months. And I think that if you can get a patient well-controlled on that medication, and then it makes it easier for them to adhere to it because they're getting it, you know, as a shot once a month, that that's a big, um, 
that's a big advantage to the patient and to, you know, their family and their providers because you know that they're getting what they need. Okay. Um, talked a lot about antipsychotics, which is huge, especially with chronic mental illness. Um, what about antidepressants, which I think I'm, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure dep depression um, affects a larger percentage of the population. So more people are yes. taking these drugs. So there, what are some advancements there? So they're they're coming out with new with newer drugs. I think the the industry recognizes that there's a need, um, and the issue really with antidepressants is there are some that work for a given patient, and some just might not. And it's kind of a guessing game in terms of okay, is this working? It's been four weeks. Do we give it more time? You know, does it? Do we need to add something? So they're kind of doing more studies with adding on drugs to already existing regimens. Um, they started combining one antidepressant actually with a drug that would typically be regarded as an antipsychotic and finding that they kind of work well together and boost the activity of the antidepressant. Um, they're adding in some, some newer agents that are just a little bit different than, say, a cousin that already exists. It's chemically a little bit different, but it might work a lot differently for a given patient. So. Um, there's advancements in that there's newer drugs and they're trying out, um, how well they might work in combination with other agents rather than having to switch completely off of a drug that might be working, but just not quite well enough. Right. And you you had said a big piece here is, is waiting to see, um, if it, you've given it enough time to kick in. A lot of these drugs are, they have to build up in the system, right? Yeah, and it's probably the most frustrating part of treating any of these disorders is that a lot of it is a little bit of trial and error. And, you know, what might work for one patient might not work for another patient who has identical symptoms. And we don't really know why that is. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the other part of it is it might work, but it might start working after, you know, six weeks, eight weeks. Um, and it really, it, the biggest part of it is looking and saying, okay, are their physical symptoms resolving? You know, if they're not sleeping well or they're feeling like they have no appetite, is that getting better? Then the actual mood symptoms should improve in the coming weeks as well. I see. Okay. Um, before moving on, one category that you kind of didn't list as a major category is anti-anxiety. Is that is there a reason that you didn't classify that or group that with these other three? Well, they're the drugs that we, we kind of recognize as having a little bit of a potential for abuse, um, the benzodiazepines. So you probably have heard of Xanax or Klonopin. Um, those are often used as well. And then usually we will often add in an antidepressant for um, an anxiety disorder because a lot of the antidepressants are kind of subclassified as activating or as um, kind of anxiety reducing. So a lot of the times there are some antidepressants that work really well in kind of calming a person down and they have more anti-anxiety effects than others. Okay. And then anti-anxiety, is there like a Xanax is a drug that you take and it, it, come, it takes effect immediately. Whereas there's other drugs, the anti-anxiety medications that have to build up in the system, right? More like the antidepressants you were talking about. Right. Okay. Yeah. So for like an acute episode of, you know, a panic attack or, you know, if you know that you're going to get anxious about something that is coming, you know, you can kind of tell I'm going to be anxious about this thing, like flying, for example, then benzodiazepines mm -hmm. are a great, um, a great option for something that's going to be short term and acute that you can kind of predict. 
I see. Pro- but prevalence of abuse is higher. Yeah, I mean, they can be habit forming. Um, and again, people just need to kind of be educated about the risks before they they take these these agents and um, physicians need to be aware if there's any history of abuse before they prescribe them. Okay, cool. Um, what are some present and kind of more prevalent issues that psychiatric pharmacists and psychiatrists are facing right now um, when treating and prescribing to their patients? Um, I know this is a little bit broad, but is there anything in current events or something that you might you think could be especially relevant? Well, there's this, there's this advancement and I, I hesitate to talk about it because it's, it's so far from where it needs to be, but it's promising. It's this field called pharmacogenomics and it's basically this concept of I test a patient and I get this result and it tells them how well a patient will break down a certain drug or maybe they break it down extra quickly. So they're going to need a higher dose right off the bat. Or maybe they break it down extra slowly. So instead of taking it twice a day, they only need it once a day. Or they need a smaller dose than we would think. And that's really taking another step toward this amazing situation where we know exactly what a patient will need and what medications they'll respond to. And it would eliminate that trial and error. So it's a field that's in development. And some patients have heard about it and have gone and gotten tested. And it it can be helpful sometimes, but it has a ways to go. But it's something that I think every every prescriber who works in this field are, are probably looking toward to see, you know, how, how much better could it be? And could this be something that we use regularly on every single patient? Because it would be really helpful if it could, could reach its full potential. And the Mm -hmm. other thing I think is just, you know, and this isn't specific to patients, um, who take psychiatric medications by any means, but patients lie. <laughs> so it's often mm-hmm. very hard to say, have they been taking this medication? Is that why it's not working? Or, you know, have they really given this a good trial run? Or, you know, are these side effects because they're they're taking something else? Or there's some supplements they're not telling us about? And it's very much like you're relying on that patient to be honest while knowing that they, they might not be. Um, so it's kind of a challenge to get a good relationship between the provider and the patient to make sure that you can really make it specific to them. Because like I said, it's a lot of trial and error. You're, you know, you might be switching up drugs a lot depending on what they report to you. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can test blood levels in certain drugs to say, okay, is it in the system? But for a lot of them, you just can't do that. Right. Okay. The first piece that you talked about, is that, is it like a genetic testing? How, how do they conduct um, that, that test to kind of give you, give the patient an idea of what'll stick and what won't? Yeah. It's a genetic test that will say, oh, okay, you, you know, you have this enzyme, <coughs> excuse me, you have this enzyme that'll break down this drug and yours is, you know, ultra rapidly working. So you're going to need more drug because you're going to break it down faster and you won't feel the effects. Or you have this Got enzyme it. that metabolizes this other drug and it is really slow. You know, we call it a polymorphism if it's not normal. And it doesn't mean that it's dangerous. It just means that you can tweak their drugs more easily if you get an accurate report. Got it. Okay. And then one more question before I move on to Jess Duhame and we talk a little <coughs> more about um, drug adherence. You go to a doctor, say you go to two different, this might open a whole bag of worms, but two different um, psychiatrists and you're reporting the same symptoms, the exact same symptoms to both. One doctor um, might prescribe you with one set regimen of medications and then the other doctor might prescribe you with an entirely different set. 
how true is that and what plays into that? Um, is there, are there, is it the doctor's history and success rate with certain medications? So almost like a preference that they establish over time or, um, is there anything that the pharmaceutical industry has a hand in, in terms of um, incentivizing? I know this is a little bit more controversial and probably not just not the case, but are they incentivizing doctors to prescribe certain medications? Can you speak on that at all? Yeah. So the only incentivizing they can really do is tell the physicians about the drugs. And honestly, a good psychiatrist, no drug rep is going to be able to tell them anything that they don't already know. Mm -hmm. um, so actually physically paying them to prescribe a given drug is um, not legal. So we hope that that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, probably more the case is what you said initially is the the preference. And it's definitely a thing that um, spans across all fields of medicine is provider preference. And the thing is, a patient comes in with, you know, symptoms X, Y, and Z, they might be candidates for several drugs to try initially. And so then it really does come down to preference or maybe what the physician thinks their insurance will cover. Um, or yeah, like you said before, what they've seen work in the past for certain patients, but they would probably be more likely to agree on what's not a good option for the patient, you know, given their history or, you know, other comorbidities that they might have than they are to agree on what to try first. Okay. That makes sense. It's more of like, you got to try things to, to cross them off the list and everybody yeah. has to start somewhere. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. Um, great. Well, thanks, Michaela. I'm going to keep Michaela on the line in case she has any interjections for Jess Duhame's piece of the interview. Um, but we're going to move on to Jessica Duhame, who is a handlebar instructor. Ow, ow. And hey. a friend of mine as well. Um, Jess, tell us a little bit about your background, education, and experience. Sure. So hi, Handlebar community, Handle with Care community. Um, I am also a Handlebar instructor, but a pharmacist as well. I went to Northeastern University a few years behind Jess and Michaela. And after pharmacy school there, I worked in retail pharmacy at CBS in Wellesley, um, about 40 minutes west of Boston. And I had a great experience there um, getting to no customers and it was a whole different kind of field than what I was used to because I had mostly worked in, 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 in an inpatient setting while I was a student. So it was cool for a while, but about two years ago, I started working at Boston Children's Hospital in the inpatient pharmacy. So now I'm in the hospital setting, similar to Michaela. And just to add uh, something to what Michaela said, I recently heard or found out that Children's is one of the two pharmacogenomic testing centers in the country. Okay. What so, does that mean? Um, so I don't think, like Michaela said, it's like a very new um, developing field. It's not something that there's been a lot of research on and it's kind of just starting to take off. So that's not off, like these type of tests aren't offered Everywhere. Like everywhere. If you go to your primary care okay. doctor and you're like, hey, I want a pharmacogenomic test, they're going to probably look at you like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and like, I don't know if your insurance will cover it either, but I know that Children's is one of the two. This is like probably a few months ago. This is, I found this out, but 
one of the two testing centers in the country. And people come from all over the place to make appointments with our pharmacogenomics clinic to get tested um, if they have, you know, issues in the past that with medications or they have something that's been refractory to a lot of different treatments. They'll sometimes go this route if they want other options or more detailed information on what their options are for treatments of all different diseases, not only, um, you know, psychiatric illnesses. Cool. So very yeah. cool. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to focus with Jess a little bit about medication adherence. Um, my first question here is how is medication adherence as a topic discussed in the pharmacy world? How is it addressed in academia and how is it addressed in a hospital setting? Sure. So I feel like medication adherence is something that is talked about a lot when we were students in school and they kind of put this responsibility on pharmacists to be that, you know, education provider for medications. However, in the real world, it's very difficult to find the time to educate patients on their medications that they're taking. I mean, if you've walked into a CVS or any retail pharmacy, you know that it's it's overwhelming in there. The people behind the counter seem extremely busy. And I feel like as a patient, it may lead to some like intimidation and some hesitation to inquiring about your drugs. And so yeah, and isn't it if you're really a yes or no, I'm sorry to interrupt. Isn't it like a yes no, or no okay. option? Like, do you want do you need to be educated on this or no? Like the, yeah. the patient gets to decide. Exactly. And so it's kind of like, like, oh, do you have any questions for the pharmacist? And it's like, well, you better not because there are like 25 people waiting behind you. <laughs> um, yeah. And they're on the phone, you know? It's So it's really tough because as much as we learn about this, the importance of our role in, you know, helping educate patients um, about their drugs, it's in the real world, there are a lot of barriers to that. And so in my opinion, I think one of the leading causes of people being non-adherent to their medications is the lack of education. They don't understand, you know, why they're taking what they're prescribed or what to expect when they take it. And there's someone that is so close, you know, for them to ask questions to, but a lot of times there's really not a great setting or a great time to ask those questions. So that's kind of how I see it in like an outpatient pharmacy world. But we do learn about like all, we have all this drug knowledge that we can share and all these like tips and tricks that I'll like talk about a little bit, like I'll touch on later, but I think there's a big disconnect between what we learn and what we kind of really experience in the real world in terms of medication adherence and just education in general. Sure. Cool. Um, how would you say this topic, medication adherence in psychiatrics is different than any other um, areas of focus? Sure. So as Michaela kind of touched on earlier, I think antidepressants are, I consider them like dirty drugs almost. <laughs> Sometimes, not all of them. Um, antidepressants, antipsychotics, they work by altering the chemicals in your brain, essentially, for the most part. And 
unfortunately, while they're affecting the chemicals in the brain, they'll also affect other areas of your body. So not only does this lead to unwanted side effects, like a lot of them can cause, you know, weight gain or decreased sex drive and, you know, sedation and things like that. And when you're already not feeling well mentally, it's tough to have those side effects kind of stacked on. And so I read a study, it says like 13 to 55% of patients who are prescribed a an antidepressant or antipsychotic medication are non-adherent to their prescribed regimen, which is huge. And mm-hmm. also, like we kind of talked about earlier, these drugs take time to work. So you don't necessarily see that immediate effect. You know, you don't take a pill and automatically feel happy the next day. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize that, you know, this onset of action may be delayed. And so they kind of just stop taking it or they forget to take it because they don't feel anything from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also not really a measurable outcome. Like, you know, if you take an antihypertensive or medication for your blood pressure, you might you, like then you're able to measure your blood pressure and see the numbers. Hopefully they're less than what it was before. Whereas mm-hmm. with with any kind of psychiatric medication, it's tough to really measure how it's working, especially because if you even if you do take it for, you know, two to four weeks and you find that your sleeping habits are better and your eating habits are better, you know, if you continue taking it, maybe your dose might need to go up a little because you are, you know, like really not feeling your like absolute best or back to like baseline or whatever, you know, outcome that you're hoping to get from the medication. So I think all of those things really make not make it's a lot of people like, not adherent to their medications in the psychiatric sense. Right. They're, the desired outcome is pretty subjective and it's you're depending on the patient to be able to really accurately describe how they're feeling and that's yeah. what the doctors are using to make their next change in prescription exactly makes a lot of sense and I oh yeah and just to um add one more point which kind of will probably be a good segue into like another topic but um the another side effect that I think is especially concerning in this psychiatric realm is that when you first start taking these medications, your mood may feel worse and you may have increased risk of um, like harming yourself because, you know, everything is kind of getting all reset in your brain in terms of chemical levels. And so your suicide risk may, like, may be higher. And I'm pretty sure that's associated with all of the medications and is most prevalent in like younger adults and teenagers too. So it's just definitely important to kind of bring awareness to it and educate people to let them know if they are feeling worse when they do start taking this medication to just, you know, have those red flags up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, before I go on to my next question, this is kind of one for either of you. Um, what about the impact of like alcohol and nicotine on psychiatric medications and how does that play into 
maybe this is more a question for Michaela and more about like the different classes, or maybe this affects adherence as well. But because um, substance abuse is so prevalent in psychiatrics, um, how does that kind of play in? Well, it plays in in that you some drugs will need to be adjusted if they quit smoking or oh. if they abstain from alcohol because <laughs> you can think of nicotine as another drug. So it's going to play a role in terms of, you know, it might be metabolized the same way as their antipsychotic is or their antidepressant. So you might need to, um, you know, adjust the dose if they quit smoking or if they take up smoking. And then with alcohol, I mean, it's more of a, you have to kind of think of, okay, this could be a source of depression, <laughs> you know, just the things they do um, when they drink or the reasons that they drink, it might play into their overall diagnosis. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's something that probably everyone should consider because substance abuse and these disease states often do go hand in hand. It's very common. So it's something that should be on everyone's radar. Okay, cool. Yeah. It makes, it complicates, muddies the waters a little bit, even more. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Back to Jess. Um, yeah, I completely the, agree with what, oh, what, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask the next question, but if you have something to add, please do. Oh yeah. Um, well, I think with, uh, this is especially important in younger adults who are taking medication, um, like that may cause sedation and, if they're combining it with other sedatives like alcohol, then it can kind of, they can have additive effects and cause extra sedation. So I have, was definitely asked this question often when uh, I was in the retail setting, like, is it okay to drink while I take, you know, my antidepressant or my anti-anxiety medication? And as a healthcare professional, I would strongly suggest or yeah, strongly suggest against combining anything that causes any type of like altered mental effects with, um, with alcohol because of the potential risk for increased sedation. Um, but realistically, I don't know if people will listen to that because if they want to like, you know, drink, then maybe they're going to be less likely to take their med. Like that day they won't, yeah. you know, take their antidepressant because they want to drink. So I do try to caution or I do try to caution against it, but also try to be realistic that, you know, okay, you can, if you are going to drink on this medication, maybe have, you know, one glass of wine and see how it affects you or start slow, you know, but that's not something that I would professionally say is like the best idea, but I'm just trying to be realistic when like talking to people too. Right. Right. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And it's, yeah, I always think that, you know, the doc, the, they tell you you're not supposed to drink on this and I'm kind of roll my eyes. Like, well, how I could listen to this. Is everybody listening to this for any yeah. type of medication, like antibiotics? I'm not supposed to drink on those. Well, sorry. Sometimes I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> hanging my dirty laundry. Um, <laughs> all right, Jess, could you discuss a few or one even um, specific case study or narrative that you'd be fairly that might be easy to digest or impactful to our listeners that has to do with medication adherence? Sure. So, so this kind of has to do with like 
antidepressants and antipsychotics in general. And I, it ties into the side effects that I was discussing earlier. Um, and it's more of a general like case study and just general information, but young adults and adolescents are at the highest risk um, of, they have a higher risk of mortality um, right after a new diagnosis of depression or any type of like um, psychiatric condition. And they're surprisingly, I was shocked to find this out, but they're eight more times likely to die within the first year of after being diagnosed with depression or a psychiatric condition than other patients the same age, just, you know, they're like for outpatient visits, like going to see their doctor for regular outpatient visits. Um, They're more likely to die. Is it because of suicide rates or is it? So um, interestingly, it is for every like 10,000 patients about in a study that was done about 55 died in within 12 months and 21 um oh 55 of the ones that were diagnosed with a psychiatric condition died in the first 12 months and 21 diagnosed um with depression in the first 12 months after their diagnosis and it was mostly due to poisoning from their drugs and 34% of those patients was self-inflicted poisoning and 17% was unintentional poisoning. Wow. That seems, how can they determine that unintentional? So I think unintentional would be like they combined it with maybe other medications that they were taking and they had bad effects. Um, But interestingly, in our emergency department at Children's, when I first started working there, I was blown away by the amount of young patients, teenagers especially, that came in because of intentional overdoses on their medications that they are prescribed. So non-adherence is not only not taking your drugs, but it's not taking the drugs as prescribed. So it can either be like, you know, taking it only once a week, or it could be like taking, you know, a bunch at once. It's, Mm -hmm. it's very, um, it's very scary to think about and, and difficult to track too. Um, but I was, yeah, just absolutely blown away by the amount of patients that come in with issues. Because if you think about it, you know, you're a teenager, you are already full of crazy hormones and your emotions are up and down and up and down. And then you're adding medications to the mix that are making things even worse. And if there's no, you know, outlet for people to, kind of express their feelings and they're keeping it inside, then sadly it's leading to very, um, very poor outcomes. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately it's just, it's something that I think the whole healthcare field is like aware of, but it's difficult to manage it. Work against. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So as we kind of wrap things up, hopefully on a more positive and hopeful note, um, can you tell me, and I'll touch back with you, Michaela, too, but um, Jess, what are some current strategies used um, in the pharmacy world and in the just med- medical world in general used to address uh, metadherence um, as it pertains to psychiatrics? Or, you know, what are some strategies? What are some things that 
that are being tried to get people to st- to stick with their um, prescribed dosages, their prescribed medications on a regular basis. Sure. So I'm really excited that you asked that. Um, so, you know, there are always those pill boxes that we can use. There are different methods like that that help you keep track of your meds that you take throughout the but you week have to or, fill those or every, every week day. you have to fill them yeah so it's so, like if you're not good at filling them on sunday then if they're not filled for the week then it's exactly. not going to any good <laughs> that's yes. my problem so i think that the days of pill boxes are kind of behind us there are so many exciting new technological advancements in terms of medication adherence that are in the works and developing in addition to the pharmacogenomic um, pharmacogenomics that we were talking about before, which is also an exciting and fast-moving field. But if you search medication adherence in the app store or just like daily reminders, there are so many different apps that people can download for free and use to help remind them to take their meds. I think that's definitely important. Uh, There's no data that I've seen to support or to show that these are beneficial, but I think the risk of using them is very low and the the potential benefit is, is huge. So it's definitely a good first step for people who are looking for a way to try to consistently take their medication and maybe need some gentle reminders. You can just download an app, which is cool. Um, and there's also apps in the works where social workers will send daily texts to text messages to patients to assess their adherence and, um, their clinical status. So get, you know, real time feedback every day from these patients, which I thought was, is like a great thing. You know, you have someone who, a safe person to talk to about your drugs, about how you're feeling that day, which I think is really cool. Um, and I think that would be definitely very helpful. And lastly, this I definitely think is a good like discussion topic, but there is something that I read about called a digital health feedback system. Michaela, have you heard of that? I have not. Okay. It was just FDA approved in the fall of 2017. And what it is, is it's an embedded little tiny like spec that's a medication tracker and it's embedded into um, medications. And once the pill is ingested, it sends the information, it sends the feedback to an app to show that you've actually taken your drug. Oh my God. Wow. I, okay. The first that I read about this, I was like, I'm like in black, black mirror. mirror exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is black mirror. Like I could not believe it, but it's FDA approved for Abilify now, which is a, um, an antipsychotic medication that I believe Michaela was kind of alluding to earlier when she was saying that it's being combined with antidepressants. Um, is that what you're referring to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's called Abilify My Sight, and the patient wears this like patch, and you take the drug, and then if once it gets into your stomach contents, 
it will send a signal to the patch that the pill was ingested. And then that, well, connects to an app on your phone and will like store the feedback that it was um, ingested. And so I feel like there are so many different ways of looking at this technology, but after kind of reading more about it, I think it does have potential benefits because at first, yeah, it was Black Mirror. It's like, oh my God, Big Brother's watching. You know, this is like <laughs> very, you know, helicopter status. But I think it could be useful as a type of like digital journaling almost. So I see potential in this in terms of like, if it's linked with a way for a patient to record how they're feeling that day or any side effects that they're experiencing, then they can give that information back to their caregiver, to their provider. And at, you know, weekly or monthly visits kind of go over like, all right, you have been taking this medication and this is how you are feeling. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a way to make adjustments based on like true adherence to a medication, because as Michaela said earlier, patients lie. Patients, you know, they want to be good patients. So they may Mm -hmm. be very hesitant to, you know, express any missed doses or missed days of meds or any side effects that they're experiencing. They want to just be like the perfect patient. um, Whereas, but they're really not even taking their drug. So it's hard to help when you don't know if they're taking it or not. Um, as a provider, I would probably be hesitant to increase a dose or to switch to another medication if I didn't know that they were actually taking it or not. So I think in that right. sense, it would kind of be helpful. Um, and even with just like adjusting doses or if it's being used in combination with other meds, you know, just to see that consistency and kind of get real data on, yeah whether or not the drug is working. I think it, it was really cool and kind of scary, but I think maybe it, also uh, may have it'll maybe a live tweet will go out saying, I just took my medication exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> JK. Kind of terrifying. <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's, I think that I, I, it's interesting that it goes to an app for the patient. I would think immediately it would go to an app for the for the provider, um, or maybe, but maybe it's two sided. Maybe once it's, it's you know, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's cool if you're, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of information being shared, and I'm that's a whole other bag of worms about, um, you know, privacy invasion. I guess I'm not sure, but I feel if I were the patient in any situation, I want to feel better. So if that's going to help, then, um, then I want to take advantage of it for sure. Um, before kind of a closing off here. Um, well, one other thing, Jess, you interviewed for this company a while back and I remember thinking how cool of a concept this was specifically because of med adherence, but pill pack. Mm -hmm. And, um, I personally am doing something similar for my vitamins called with a company called Care of and my vitamins get sent to me every month and they're pre-packaged in daily packs. So it just eliminates that Sunday night putting together my med, my my vitamins um 
And it's also incentivizes me to open it every day because there's like a cute motivational quote on it. Um, I know pill pack is something similar where your medicine gets delivered to you in daily or, or twice daily um, packages. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I think pill pack is awesome. I think they've got a great like platform, a great, um, just great values as a company. And the way that it works is, you send them your prescriptions from your doctor or the doctor sends them your prescriptions just like they would any other pharmacy. And they package everything into daily little like plastic, like uh, sachets essentially. And Mm -hmm. it comes all in a roll in a two, 14 day supply of all of your medications. And if you take something say three times a day, you'll have a morning an afternoon and a night. And each little sachet has your name, the time of day, whether it's morning or eight o'clock, whatever. I think you have the ability to set those parameters. Um, But it has that printed on there. And then it also has the name of each drug um, that's in the little packet. And so it's a really cool for people who take a lot of medications or vitamins and medications for adherence, because then you can just, you know, rip off the three packets or whatever you need. If you're going um, out for the day and put them in your bag or put them in your pocket. And then it's a a good way to have things more accessible than bringing your whole pill box out with you in your purse, you know? Absolutely. It takes just one, takes one extra variable out. Um, exactly. Michaela, do you, do you have any thoughts on med adherence? Any of the stuff that Jess talked about, the pill pack stuff, this new technology that you want to weigh in on, or, or do you have any, are there any clear drawbacks from any of these that we're just missing? No, I think the, the new technology is crazy because up until apparently the fall of 2017, we had no real way of knowing for sure if a patient was taking their medication, we had their word to rely on. Um, In the hospital, I can look and see when they've last picked up their medication from their CVS or their Walgreens, but that doesn't guarantee that they took it. You know, you can Mm -hmm. see every 30 days on the dot, they're picking it up, but I don't know what they're doing with that bottle of pills. Um, So this is a, you know, that's a pretty big advancement. And I think, I think it's a good thing. I'm all for it. I know a lot of people will think it's a little bit you know, maybe of an overreach. Um, but I think that, that it's something that we need and that it's a, it's a positive development for sure. Me too. Yeah. And do you want to, so I will I want to start watching it today. I've heard I should skip the first episode, but we I didn't watch the first one. I've just been bouncing around. Me too. It's so good. I think I only have one left though. I'm really sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this will be the next episode of Black Mirror. oh and i don't want to leave anybody hanging but so dsm stands for the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders thank you michaela (laughs) appreciate that (laughs) cool well thank you guys so much for your time um and everybody listening still at this point that's awesome and you're obviously trying to learn so bravo to you um totally really important stuff and relevant to everybody in psychiatrics or, or not, you know, it's just all of this pharmacy stuff is um, relevant to anybody who's ever been prescribed a medicine. So thanks guys for your time. And um, I'm excited to get this one live. It should be out sometime this week. 
Alright guys, have a great day.